Hello everyone, welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Leidig. And um, as I mentioned before we went live, uh, to the topic of today's discussion, or whatever we want to call it, is the importance of honoring our elders. And unfortunately, this is something that we don't often see in this day and age, if anything. There's very little regard to uh, to paying attention to hardly anyone that's older than us, much less a generation or two older than us. And I guess, I, you know, I've often thought about why that's the case. Um, and I guess most of us are older, I would get, I would, I don't know why I keep saying guess. Most of us here are older. I turned 57 in a couple weeks. And uh, actually, not this weekend, but next weekend, holy cow. Um, and I know that several of you are older than me. Some of you are younger. But I was blessed to grow up around a lot of older folks. Of course, my grandparents and my great-grandparents um, you know, we lived in a small secluded town, and uh, so it was commonplace for everyone to gather at Grandma's house for Sunday meals and and everything to go to the family reunions. I mean, I remember meeting my great-great-grandmother and, you know, different ones like that, great-great-uncles and aunts. And whenever I was a kid, I didn't really see the value in it much, like a lot of children don't. Um, and then whenever I was... I guess probably fifth through seventh grade. So whatever that would have made me like 11 to 13, somewhere in that age range. My parents were in a gospel group along with my aunt and uncle and um, another guy uh, called the Prelude Gospel Singers. <laughs> and so be me being the age that I was and my sister, of course, um, we had to go pretty much every gig that, you know, they performed. And a lot of the um, gigs that they had were at um, uh, elder care facilities. And so I remember, like, I wouldn't call them fond memories by any stretch of the imagination, because, you know, you go in there and there's funny smells, and at least in the ones that we seem to play at. And uh, played in a lot of churches and camp meetings and stuff like that as well. And uh, I remember commenting once whenever I was young that I was in church more than what our pastor was, <laughs> which was definitely the case because they had a lot of gigs uh, for a while there. Made, I think, at least one album that was also released on... Uh, eight track if that gives you any idea of technology of the day and uh you know so it was a very interesting experience but uh even had a couple weird things like i remember one time we got this gig um where they were singing at this church in west virginia but my uncle didn't really research it out well and turns out it was one of those snake handling churches so everything was fine until they brought out the snakes. And then it was like, show's over, we're out, you know. Uh, so that was kind of weird. Um, but the one thing that stands out to me about those experiences, especially being in the um, assisted living uh, places, was talking with the people who were there. And... I realized pretty early on that um, folks who were older than I was, which, you know, <laughs> 12, 13 seems ancient, um, but they had a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And so I developed a, a really great habit fairly early on to pay attention to my elders and, you know, to do simple things like hold the door open for them and, um, you know, prefer them. Like if you're having a Sunday meal or whatever, they get served first and a lot of things like that. And later on, as I got older, young adult and everything, um, 
we used to take groups into different facilities and tell stories or sing or whatever. And uh, it was always cool hearing the stories. And then later on, uh, when my girls, well, when Ashley was really little, I've shared before about selling at the flea markets. And probably the highlight for me, other than, you know, actually being able to make money to pay the rent and stuff, was, again, listening to the stories of um, different ones that would come along and share. And, you know share their experiences and memories of whenever they were young or, you know, a connection that they had to something that I was selling. And I just loved it because they represented an encyclopedia of sorts that just isn't available. I mean, you could have them write down everything and you could interview, um, you know, anyone in, uh, over a period of time either through video or audio or whatever, have it all put into books, but it's still not the same. It's not the same thing. And, um, and then whenever we started getting heavily involved with, um, Native American presentations and stuff like that, again, we had a lot of opportunity to, to be around, um, a lot of the, uh, older folks and some of the elders uh, in the tri- um, area tribes and Cherokee and different ones like that. And that's when I really learned even more the value, you know, the wisdom that the elders carried. And a lot of the young ones uh, just didn't seem to care. You know, they were distracted by the internet or their own thing or whatever. But just spending time with different uh, Native elders, especially in that period, so early 2000s, um, just opened up my eyes to a lot of things, one of which was that in all of our weird experiences that we had, my first wife and I and kids, um, that we weren't actually weird. You know, <laughs> it was refreshing. You know, I remember, and I think I've shared this before, but whenever we were having some of the weirdo spiritual experiences and, you know, spirit showing up at the house and all kinds of stuff, we talked to our church leaders because uh, we were part of the leadership. And um, the only thing that that got us, first of all, they didn't understand. And second of all, you know, they essentially put us on notice that to keep an eye on us because there was something strange about us. Well, yeah, we had freaking ghosts showing up in our house. I mean, you know, but they weren't accepting because they didn't understand it. And what they didn't understand, they feared. Um, and then compare that to going to powwows and sitting with clan mothers and different ones like that and sharing the same stories the same way. And they're like, Yeah. Yeah. I remember when, and they would share their own stories and it was common. It was normal. And, um, that opened my eyes up even more. And then, you know, just kind of growing up with that as a habit, um, having an opportunity to sit and talk with like my great uncle, um, Edro, who was like the family historian. He just passed two years ago, I believe, but spending hours talking with him and other um, family members who were in their 80s or 90s was just a really cool highlight for me because they have information or had information that I didn't, you know, about our family. They knew things about the family that no one else knows in these generations. And so, um, you know, with their passing, all that information is gone unless it's captured. And I think that's one of the reasons why I feel so compelled to to really spend time capturing that information in different ways, at least within my own family, because once it's gone, it's gone. And then it kind of becomes like whisper down the row. You know, well, I think I remember grandma saying once that blah, 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 you know. Well, now it's third party or, you know, it's secondhand information. So you don't know how true it is. And even with grandma telling the story, you know, it might not have been true, but at least it's coming out of her mouth, you know. 
And so I often asked um, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my great-uncles um, to tell me a lot about early family history and different things like that. But ultimately, I think it just comes down to the fact that, you know, to those of, who are younger than us, regardless of what our age is, you know, we've been on the planet longer. We've had more of an opportunity to figure out some things. Not to say that we always have. Okay, I've met some older people who are about as dim-witted and, you know, unenlightened as you can get. But there's also this, um, this knowing that they carry more than not. Uh, I see it a lot whenever I go to auctions, which, of course, I go to a lot of auctions, usually a couple a week. Um, and, of course, depending on the auction, uh, I'm often one of the younger ones there. <laughs> you know, I'm the youngster at 56. Uh, which is kind of fun. And so, you know, I recognize, like I, uh, I was at an auction uh, yesterday morning till about one. And uh, they were doing a lot of backroom lot bidding um, where you have a whole table full of lots and um, it's bidder's choice, you know, highest bid chooses. And some of the stuff was going for ridiculously high amounts of money, way further than what it was worth. But a lot of emotional bidding. Um, you'll see crazy things like you're bidding on something and the value starts to get high and other people will bid against you just because it must be valuable if you're bidding so high. So they jump in not even knowing what it's worth, not even knowing what it is. I mean, we've encountered that multiple times where we had to pay more just because somebody thought it must have been important because we were bidding more. And that's kind of frustrating. That's another story. But um, I remember this uh, older gentleman came over to me yesterday, probably early 70s, I want to say. And um, we were talking about some of the bidding wars that were happening there. And uh, he, he asked me, you know, what I collect and what I primarily look for and everything. And I told him that, you know, mostly vintage toys and those kinds of things. Um, but, you know, also interested in other things like rocks and space and crafts and whatever. And he's like, oh, I love vintage toys. I have a lot of them myself. He's like, I've been doing this for 50 years. I've been going to auctions. And... That's when it hit me. You know, this guy's a wealth of information. You know, I, I feel like I have a lot of experience with auctions. Uh, I mean, I went to him as a kid with my grandfather and then later with my mom and dad. So I kind of grew up with it. But to really go in as a buyer, um, you know, I've only been doing it that way um, consistently for maybe the last four and a half years. Uh, which seems like a long time, and I have the storage units to prove it. <laughs> but, you know, for this guy to, you know, share that, you know, he's been at it for 50 years, and, you know, I've made friends with a number of the local auctioneers, and most of them are older, but they have a new generation or two coming up. And to hear the stories, like he started sharing some of the uh, toys that he has in his collection. And the funny thing was that every single one that, that he mentioned I either own or have owned and sold. And so we were just kind of going back and forth comparing notes and he was sharing some of his stories of discoveries that he made and I was doing the same. And it was just a really cool conversation, you know, to just learn some of the ins and outs. And, you know, used to be that you could get this for that and now it's gone crazy and here's why and you know, you should go to this area and check out auctions there if you're interested in this. And just information that for me to figure out on my own could take, you know, a long time, years perhaps, if I even figure it out. Uh, and so uh, very often I see our elders as shortcuts. You know, they've been there and done that uh, many, many times in most cases. They figured some stuff out. You know, um, and there's a, 
a different manner of speaking or thinking there that is different from today because, you know, in some cases they went through, depending on their age, of course, um, you know, perhaps some of the older ones, uh, or at least their parents went through the depression and that had some very, um, uh, strong impacts on families here in the U S and so as a result, they learned to live beneath their means to be very conservative to, you know, how they handle certain things like money and all of that is different, uh, compared to somebody who didn't go through that. And I don't know, I just appreciate the interaction with, uh, I like to people watch. I don't know if any of you do that or not, but, um, and auctions are a great, great place for it, especially in watching older folks. Um, you can tell the ones who have had a hard life and didn't necessarily respond all that well, you know, the bitter ones or whatever. And I, there's times where I have to remind myself like, and I, and this just happened yesterday where, there's one gentleman who he and his wife have bid against me multiple times and run up bids that I found frustrating because ultimately I won anyway, but I ended up having to pay, you know, $7,500 more for something than I needed to just because they jumped in. And it seems that they have very little regard for others around them. And, you know, I saw that play out again yesterday, not with me personally, but just you know, how they were getting an attitude towards certain bidders because they wanted something and they were outbid. And I had to remind myself, you know, I haven't walked in their shoes. I haven't had their experiences. And who they are as a person now is a result of those experiences. And so it's not really my place to judge. You know, I can get frustrated at times for sure. But, you know, until I've endured what they've endured, it's not my place to judge them and to, you know, write them off because chances are very, very likely that in taking time to get to know them, uh, there would be wisdom there that I just don't have. And so to be able to access that is kind of cool. Now, obviously you can't get to know everyone, <laughs> you know, and truth be told, I'm just not that social of a person. I mean, I know that I kind of make my living teaching live online to uh, folks like yourselves and, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of others that have, well, definitely thousands that have passed through my trainings over the years. But face to face, I'm not a very social person. I'm not socially awkward or anything like that. I just, I can only take so much. And then it's withdrawal. Maybe it's something I picked up from my dad because he was very much like that. Um, I don't get anxiety from it or anything. Um, actually, I love being around people. It's the inner constant interaction that I find draining after a while. Um, where I just, you know, and I think some of it too, like, I'm, I'm like a body in motion. <laughs> That's, uh, that's just, uh, how I am. I'm just in a constant state of motion. And I don't know if it's just, uh, if it's just who I am as a person or, um, I don't really know why. I mean, a lot of folks have always had trouble keeping up with me, including my kids. They just can't keep up. And I, I enjoy it. Like it's not work for me to just keep moving like that. But uh, we can always learn. And uh, I think one of the uh, one of the best things that we can do is what I mentioned earlier. Um, and William um, kind of highlighted it here. Wisdom is a life shortcut, a very interesting concept to explore. Yeah, I mean, you know, we grow up as kids being told by our parents, perhaps, you know, just do what you're told <laughs> or don't do what, um, don't do what I do, do what I say, you know, or whatever the case may be. And 
if you were like me as a kid, you pretty much challenged all of that because <laughs> I always did. I always asked questions. I always challenged it just because, I don't know, it's just how I was wired, I guess. But as a parent and now as a grandparent, you know, I see my kids go through stuff and experience things. And I scratch my head because, you know, I'll offer advice or insight or whatever. And then they still insist on doing it their own way and learning some hard lessons, perhaps, or whatever. And, I've, you know, I don't want to be uh, one of those who say, I told you so. But by the same token, being a parent, I want what's best for my girls. And if I can help them avoid pain, obviously, you know, I would want to do that. And, uh, you know, I'm fairly successful in what I do and all of that. But yet, I see them make choices that <laughs> make me wonder sometimes. How did you grow up in my household and, you know, come to a conclusion that this was a good choice to make? Now, not to say that I've always been the way I am now. I mean, when the girls were little, we struggled a lot. I mean, we were, I, I hesitantly use the word poor, but we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, so it made life really challenging and they grew up. Um basically learning to not want or expect a lot. And so now, you know, now that um, I have more success and more things available, they are not the kind of kids, you know, they're 28 and 30. They're not the kind of kids that come around and look for a handout. They just don't. As a matter of fact, I have a hard time helping them at all because normally they'll refuse it. And, uh, which of course, again, still I'm their, their dad, I want to help them or whatever. But to me, money is the least of the help that I would want to give them for, for them to just hear what I have to say and use that as leverage to figure out how to get through their life challenges faster. That would be so much more beneficial, you know, and rewarding for me to know that they actually paid attention. And again, I don't know what their thought processes are, so it's likely that they're picking up on more things than I would ever give them credit for, something I have to be careful of. But I really do see relying on wisdom as a shortcut in life because, you know, imagine how much we could benefit just paying attention to the elders around us. Now, their context is going to be different, and so some points of view may not apply in certain situations. But, you know, are we really that ego-driven to think we've got it all figured out? And there's a question that almost in every case, the answer is we don't have it all figured out, <laughs> you know? We might like to think that we do, but we just don't. And, you know, even today with as much that I feel like I figured out, um, I'm very quick to prove that I haven't figured it all out. And so I'm constantly learning. And just to, uh, just to learn from folks like that um, is a blessing. Um, and William asks a good question here. He says, um, to get the, uh, to get at the wisdom of the elders, what generic questions would you suggest we ask aside from their telling us their stories? That's a great question. Um, For me, I, and I can only answer for me, but one of the things that I recognized is that in learning from our elders, there are two different dynamics that can kind of play out in what they share with us. One is opinions based on current happenings or whatever. 
And so unless we understand their context, uh, it may or may not seem relevant to us, whatever it is that they say. But on the flip side of that, whenever we uh, can encourage them to talk about how things were when they were growing up or whenever they were doing X, Y, Z, or whatever the case was, and just let them share their stories, then we're able to tap into um, a level of wisdom where we get to obviously discern the, uh, the messages in those stories, much like an allegory, you know, or fairy tales or whatever. Not that what they're saying is fairy tales, because obviously they experienced it, but what we're after is the wisdom that's buried in their stories rather than their opinions on a current topic. I mean, there still can be some value, obviously. Um, but like me, like take the gentleman that I talked to yesterday, for instance. I, uh, we had conversations that basically focused on both of those dynamics. Because uh, I had asked him a question, you know, um, what do you think about all the bidding that, and everything, the way prices are going these days and how things are selling? And, you know, he shared his current experiences and all of that. Um, but whenever I started talking to him about, so what were some of the auctions like when you were young? That's when he lit up and really started sharing some things that was super cool. That provided a level of context to me that I just didn't have at all. Now, I do remember auctions whenever I was a kid. I don't remember a lot about them, you know, obviously, you know, other than bugging my granddad to bid on some lot of something so I'd get a little action figure or whatever, <laughs> and I was cool. But, you know, now, um, you know, here I am, you know, Joe Tony expert uh, on auctions, you know, Chris and I are going to be teaching about auctions tonight on Expert Media University. And we certainly have a lot of experience in, in all of that and can definitely guide people based on that experience. But understand that a lot of the folks that we look up to, that I look up to or interact with, have been doing this for, you know, 40, 50 years. I can't even comprehend that. I'm only 56, you know. Like, I can't even comprehend that kind of dynamic. And so, like, one of the things that um, I was talking with this gentleman about yesterday, just, again, as an example, we were talking about this um, this uh, one Black Americana uh, tin figure called Jasbo Jim, which um, I used to have, well, I multiple i had a lot of black americana one time i sold it all at auction um, but jasbo jim was one of them and i had him in the box and everything box wasn't in super great shape but i got a, a really good deal and whenever i flipped him at auction i got an even better deal uh made several hundred dollars um off of him but uh his story about his getting his jasbo uh, jim uh, was really cool. Um, he was talking with a woman and she said that she had this black Americana figure and she wanted to get rid of it. And she felt weird setting it out because um, she felt it was racist and all of that. And, and he asked her what she would want for it. And uh, she's like, I don't know, just I'll take whatever you give to me. Well, he knew the value and this is years ago. Um, but he knew the value of it and, you know, its place in history and all of that, which some could argue that it is racist, but I look at it as a part of our history. You know, black Americana is a very real thing and it's how life was portrayed at the time, uh, versus today. And, uh, so anyway, he offered her a hundred dollars. She was shocked that he would offer her so much, but she gladly took it. And then that began a conversation where he was able to purchase other uh, items from her. 
And uh, I I think for mine, I paid 80 bucks at an auction, or it might have been 160 now that I think about it. But I sold mine for 450 500 somewhere around there, something like that. Um, they're worth a decent amount of money, especially if they work because they're wind-ups. And if you have the box, holy cow, it just changes everything. And so that gave me an opportunity to talk to him about how he approaches people to buy collections and stuff like that, because he's done it for years and years. And uh, Kristen and I have bought multiple collections, mostly Star Wars toys and Legos, but uh, and some Funko Pops, which is a newer kind of thing. But it's different today compared to you know, 40 years ago or 30 years ago. I mean, now you can track people down on Facebook Marketplace, you know, and um, buy collections that way. We do it all the time. Um, but back then it was word of mouth, you know. Um, you actually had to have conversations with people face-to-face. Imagine that. And so he shared some of his insights with me, which was really cool and really helpful, you know, stuff that, Perhaps I would have figured it out eventually, but, you know, he shortcutted my education just by listening. And this is, you know, while the auction's going on and it was loud and noisy and, you know, people bidding and the auctioneers on the, you know, loudspeaker and everything. Uh, so, you know, we're having this conversation while all that was going on, but still it was super cool. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Lori says, uh, to talk to elders, just talk to them very friendly and sincerely and listen to what they say and genuinely ask questions. They want to be heard. Give them your complete attention. I grew up around elders and had no friends my age. Yeah, if you ask them a question, pay attention. You know, listen. And um, that's one thing that I'm, like my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, um, that I mentioned earlier, Edro. I love spending time with him. He was so awesome and very sharp, sharp as a tack, and just knew and understood so much. And no one else in the family really paid attention, like my mom did, of course, but, you know, like in my generation or younger, no one paid attention to him, you know? And I loved sitting with him. Uh, I would get old fo- family photos from different ones in the family and scan them and print them out on paper. And then I would sit down with him and he would write out who they were and tell me about people I didn't even know, you know? So he'd tell me stories that he remembered from when he was a kid. And like in his case, he was my only connection to some of my great grandparents or great, great uncles and aunts and all of that. He knew them. He grew up around them. They were gone by the time I got on the scene, you know. So he provided a connection and a link to uh, a time period of history that I just didn't have access to. And I think, you know, that's certainly true for all of those who are our elders. You know, they provide a, a link for us you could kind of look at it from the perspective of time travel. They give us the ability to travel back in time to a place that we ourselves are not familiar with, except perhaps from our own perspective as a little kid, whereas they were adults then. So they saw things from a different light. They understood and knew things from a different light. And so, you know, from that time travel perspective, we can learn a lot as well. And of course, that um, that time scale is on a constant forward slide. You know, the more of our elders that cross over, the more of that older history is lost forever. You know, unless we're recording it or whatever the case may be. And I remember we really instilled a lot of that into our girls whenever they were little, especially when we were um, involved with a lot of the Native American presentations because we were constantly around tribal chiefs and uh, clan mothers and, you know, all of that. 
And um, I might have told this story before, but it was, <clears throat> it was a very interesting one. <clears throat> we were in Delaware at this gathering, and we were having a meal with um, a, a number of people from the Nanakoke Nation down there. And so the chief was there and the sub-chief and a lot of their elders and all were there. And of course, when you're in that kind of a setting, the elders always go first for a meal. Um, and then anyone in the armed services goes afterwards. Like, it's not even a question. You know, if you served in the armed forces in any way, shape, or form, you get preferential treatment along with the elders. That's just the way it is. It's one thing that Native Americans get right. Um, and I don't mean that in any disrespect. I mean, compared to the rest of us, you know, they really honor um, veterans like many Americans do not. And so um, one of the things that we always taught our girls is that if there was someone older who didn't have a seat and they were seated, uh, seated, <laughs> seated, that they needed to get up and offer them their chair. Um, you know, they're young, they can stand. And so the, the one chief that, who was there, the chief of the Nanako uh, people, um, saw my girls and us, and he had come over to, to talk to my first wife and I. And he had a great sense of humor. He was hilarious. Um, an older gentleman, probably in his mid-70s, uh, early 80s, something like that. And he looked at my daughter, Courtney, who was probably 13 or 14 at the time, maybe 14. And uh, he said, hey, you're in my chair. <laughs> and he was just messing with her, right? Well, her face went white and pale and then the tears started and she jumped up and went running over to her mom because she thought she had offended the chief of the tribe and then of course he felt horrible because he was just kidding with her and he apologized of course and and everything and told her that he could that he already had a chair and it was over on the other side of the room and he was just having fun with her and he was sorry for making her cry and all of that. Imagine what life would be like if today's generation of kids responded to their elders that way. instead of how things are. Sorry. I, <clears throat> I don't know why that choked me up, but it is what it is. I guess for me, God forbid that we lose all the value and wisdom that exists right in front of our noses that we're not even benefiting from and what we can learn. And as older folks, you know, it's something that I'm keenly aware of as well to not, you know, take a, a position of get away from me, kid. I don't want to be bothered, you know, or to be too busy to, to not take the time to explain something or show something or pass on what I've learned. I mean, unfortunately, I haven't figured out how to get younger. I'm only getting older. And so as time goes on, you know, um, I'll be in that same place where I'll have something to share. And, you know, will the younger generation, my grandkids or whatever, see that as relevant or... That I'm just, you know, I'm just old and don't know what I'm talking about or whatever. 
um, it's something for us all to keep in mind and to really be aware of because none of us are getting younger. We're all getting older. And so to me, we all have that responsibility. Um, I remember back whenever I was uh, designing books full time, one of the authors that I worked with on several projects was uh, a minister named Miles Monroe, um, Dr. Monroe. And it was always, he just passed several years ago in a helicopter crash or something, but very, uh, very cool, very smart guy. And um, he was also a graphic designer, which was, a, but not like a pain in the butt graphic designer. He was really fun to work with because he would come into my office and uh, we would exchange ideas back and forth about, you know, what would be best for his book covers and all of that. And just really awesome guy. And uh, one of his um, strong messages that he always shared was about um, dying empty. And, uh, you know, with the challenge of taking the wisdom and the knowledge that we've been blessed with through our years of experience on this planet and just getting it out to the masses so that when the end of our days comes, we die empty. Meaning that we don't take it all with us because we can't, right? We can't take it with us. And so, um, I never forgot that. It always had an impression on me. And, uh, I think that I see that as our challenge, you know, as, as we grow older and, you know, I mean, I still see myself as young. You know, I, I asked my mom multiple times over the years, you know, uh, cause my mom is, See, she will turn 76. Yes, she'll be 76 this year in October. And she was just here this morning. And, uh, you know, I said, well, I know, you know, obviously I know how old you are, but how do you see yourself? Like, you know, whenever you think about your life and all of that, and she's like, well, in my mind, I feel like I'm a teenager still. But then my body reminds me that I'm not. <laughs> and I can definitely relate to that. Probably all of you can as well. Um, but it it's an interesting thing. You know, Kristen and I often talk about it because she's much younger than I am. And uh, she's like, I'm only going to get X number of years with you. And that seems so short. And I'm like why are you thinking about that? How about let's focus on the moment? You know, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm planning on living forever. And she's like, well, you know, maybe you can aim for like 110 or something. <laughs> like, good Lord. I mean, I, I'd like to live at least to 100. I think that'd be awesome just to say that I was a century old. Um, I think that'd be a great goal to aim for. But, you know, shit happens. So who knows? Um, I know I'm not backing down and I'm certainly not ever going to retire. Um, you know, we'll all probably be here 20 years from now. I don't even know that what webinars will be a thing 20 years from now, but you know, somewhere I'll be telling some story or teaching something, you know, in my seventies and <laughs> that's how it's going to be. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, um, there's so much that we have to learn. And to me, we can do it the easy way or the hard way, you know? And to me, the easy way is to learn from our elders, to honor our elders, whoever they may be. And obviously, you know, we can um, take on that interaction in a lot of different ways. Just, you know, um, and over the years of my own personal life, I've had the opportunity to interact in a lot of different ways. And so now it's kind of weird to me that um, I am the family historian. You know, I'm the one who's 
pulling together all the information and who has all the research and who has all the photos and everything. Um, it's, it's kind of weird for me to be in that place because that was my uncle, my great uncle, actually. Um, you know, he was the one and now it's me and no one else really cares. You know, my cousins, they don't care. Some of them are too busy trying to find their next beer to care. Um, and others are just, they just don't care. And, uh, I have one other cousin who I never see who lives in West Virginia, who has done some research on that side of the family. No one who has researched my dad's side of the family. And, uh, half the time, whenever I would ask questions, I would get yelled at because, you know, sore wounds because of, you know, rapes and all that kind of stuff. And I understand it, but by the same token, if I don't dig in and find out that information from wherever it's available in talking to people or whatever, all of that goes away. It gets lost as that generation crosses over. And for me, with my family, I'm just unwilling to allow that to happen. You know, I want to understand what life was like in my family. 50 years, 100 years, 150, 200 years ago. Like, I want to understand. And so for me, now is the time, you know, next generation for me is in their 70s uh, and 80s. So now is the time for me to gain access to that information for my own personal family, much less, you know, what we can learn in other areas. Um, I'm a huge history buff as well. So to, to talk to older folks about how life was and how things were uh, whenever they were young, like our local town and what was popular and where did everybody go hang out on a Friday night or whatever. And to hear those stories even, you know, you see the hustle and bustle today and how buildings are being torn down without consequence and, you know, to make way for a parking lot or some other stupid building or whatever. It's like, you just destroyed history books, you know? Like we have a number of big buildings, historic buildings that were from the mid 1800s or late 1800s that are being torn down in our town right now to make way for a new courthouse. It's like, yay you, you're destroying history to make way for prisoners. That's freaking awesome. You know, that criminals take priority over history. It's frustrating. And so, to have an opportunity to talk with some of the old ones who live in our area, even it's like, what do you remember about this building? Cause it's not going to be here a month from now. Like, what do you remember about this? And so I belong to a number of groups where older ones contribute newspaper clippings and photographs and stories and all of that, which is terrific. I mean, I love it. Oh, I remember going to that place when I was a kid and this is what it was then. And you know, to hear those stories, it's kind of cool. Uh, Lori says, uh, Black Americana is awesome. It's on my bucket list to start collecting. I've always thought it was cool. I mean, I know that given the cer certain periods of time, <coughs> certain portrayals may have been meant as a disrespect, but a lot of it wasn't. You know, a lot of the um, popular Black Americana that's out there from an art perspective is actually a portrayal based upon how uh, how that generation saw themselves. You know, um, especially, you know, if you connect into music and all of that, I mean, amazing music came out of that period of time. Um, a lot of the gospel that we know and love today originated from that, you know? Uh, and so I think it's, to me, it's a way of honoring. That's kind of how I see it. But, you know, I guess everyone sees it different. Anne says, aim for at least 120, go for the gusto. <laughs> Why not? You know? Um, 
Mark says, I would hope that with the advancements in medicine and the speed of information these days that we can hope for at least a couple extra years to rub together. Yeah, you would think. Hopefully they figure more things out or, you know, to spin it in an interesting way to allow stealth technology that already exists to be made available to the public. Uh, Tony says, I'm now the oldest male in our branch of the family. My body reminds me, but my brains uh, didn't get the memo. I'm still 40 mentally, 55 physically, 70 actually. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> he says, I know I'm slowing down, but not, but it's not voluntary. Well, and it's important to keep fighting it. You know, I, we all have probably heard at one time or another how, uh, somebody retires and shortly after that, you know, you find out that they've crossed over. And I know even for my dad, it was kind of like that. I mean, he had a brain tumor. That's ultimately what killed him. But that brain tumor showed up a year after he retired, something like that. And, um, and he got, he just did not stay very active at all after he retired. Matter of fact, he felt a bit lost, like he lost his place. And a lot of the friends that he had, he retired from the local school district. He worked there for 30 years. And, um, which was interesting as a kid growing up and going to that school, but, or, you know, to the schools in that district. But anyway, He's, you know, he would still see them and they would occasionally stop by and visit and he'd interact with them, but they were still working and he wasn't. And he tried to stay busy and I'd do stuff with him. You know, we'd go out and take photos and stuff, but he just slowed down. And then next thing you know, here's this brain tumor and, you know, 15 months later he's gone. And that's been 10 years now. Mom has always stayed very, very active still is very active today. I mean, she has her own business. Uh, as a seamstress, um, she makes her own products, um, but also, you know, helps design wedding dresses and all kinds of things like that. Um, she works part-time for my sister at her team tea room, and she certainly don't look or act her age at all. I mean, I know that, it, you know, her time will come eventually, and I'm not looking forward to that. It's one of the reasons why for the last 10 years I've had breakfast with her every Tuesday and Thursday for the last 10 years, twice a week. I mean, there's been a couple times, like if I was traveling where we were unable to do it, but for the most part, I made a decision when, when dad died that I was going to spend regular time, consistent regular time with my mom every week so that I could hear her stories, learn her experiences, so on and so forth. And it's been awesome. You know, I mean, she was here today. And uh, so I get to cook for my mom on a regular basis. But, uh, but still just being able to talk to her about, you know, different family members and some of the old family reunions and stuff uh, from when I was a kid at, that everybody went to. And just to hear some of those stories is kind of fun. Lori says, the history in Black Americana is amazing, if not tragic, but it is a, it is a real history, not the sweetened and cleaned up crap in most history books. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Gary says, uh, did you ever think to write it all down or have you? Uh, maybe a video, although I'm in a writer's group and hear other people's history and it's hard to listen to. Boring, no interest. You make yours interesting because of the Indians, I think, or my years of being with you and your shows. Um, I have recorded a lot of it. Um, I have some audio recordings, but a lot of writing that I've written down just so that I wouldn't forget. Um, I like to think that I don't forget anything, but that's just not true. 
I mean, I can forget stuff five minutes from now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have been capturing it. And honestly, teaching, um, one of the things that I love about teaching webinars or podcasts is that, think about this. So we've been doing Nerd Unscripted for about a year, not quite. But combine that with all the other webinars, you know, Expert Media Show, uh, Creative Publishing Academy, all of those, all the courses, all of that kind of stuff. You guys probably know more about my life than most people, you know, just across the board. Because I've had the opportunity, like, all of my personal experiences and stories, or at least a large portion of them, are all recorded. You know, I mean... You guys probably know more about me in some areas than my own children do. And so part of me capturing even my family's information has already happened through teaching webinars. I mean, I taught two courses on genealogy. So that gave me a lot of time uh, and opportunity to, to share knowledge about my own family because that's who I research. Um, and so... I appreciate you saying that, Gary, that mine's interesting. Just I, part of it could be that I'm just passionate about it. You know, I think that could be part of it. And um, I've had a lot of weirdo, bizarre stuff happen, but I think that's probably true for all of us in one form, just different weirdo, bizarre stuff. Um, but, yeah, the one thing that I definitely want to do you know, and have been actively doing for my own kids and my own family going forward. Since I don't have any sons, you know, the Lydig name, at least in my part of the family, ends with me. Um, but it's not to say that the stories do. The stories certainly won't. And so um, it's one of the reasons why I've invested so much time and effort into genealogy research and photos and all of that is that I want my grandkids to know who their great-great-great-grandparents were or whatever, because that's they came from them, partly, you know. I want them to know who they were. I mean, obviously, they don't know them, but if they can know a couple stories about them, you know, um, then it gives a different context to their lives whenever they're older than what they would have not knowing that information. Tony says, I'm lucky I've never been a nine to five or being self-employed on and off over the years has helped me be so independent too. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, I used to do the nine to five thing. It was more like <laughs> the nine to eight thing or whatever. I don't know that I ever worked an eight hour day in my life, except whenever I was maybe 18. But um, I love being an entrepreneur. Uh, it's it's like the best thing ever. It took me a long time to get used to it. Uh, coming out of, you know, working a quote unquote real job whenever I worked for the publishing company, Destiny Image. And then, but see, even like right after that, I started my own design company and worked for even more publishers. Um, so I was still kind of working for the man, even though I was just doing it for my house. I mean, that's about the only thing that really changed. Uh, it wasn't until I started doing online courses and training that it really took on a different meaning. And that was 12, 13 years ago. Uh, and so now, gosh, there's so many opportunities out there and I want to do them all. I mean, that's just kind of how I am. And uh, so I juggle a lot of different things and it's probably a mistake. I even teach you know, folks not to do that. But yet I do it myself. Um, but it's just fun and fascinating and all of that. So I'm pretty confident that like the only way I'm ever going to stop is probably just whenever I get to the end of my day is just, okay, I'm done, fall over dead and be done with it. Um, and hopefully that's a long time into the future, but it's not going to slow me down. I just have, even though I've taught a lot over the years and, you know, did a lot of trainings, I have, uh, a lot more that I want to share, explore, you know, so on and so forth.
Uh, AJ says, hi, Tony. I was the auctioneer clerk for my husband for 20 odd years. Kept me on my toes. Oh, I bet. I bet it did. <coughs> and I love seeing husband and wife teams. Like, they're some of my favorite auctioneer uh, combos. One of my favorite auctions, uh, auction houses, the one I was at yesterday, actually. It's a father and daughter auctioneer team. And they've been open. This is their 50th year this year. And then um, the wife handles all of the check-ins and like everything that they do now is computerized. So, you know, you don't have to record the little slips and put them in the little slots and everything like a lot of other auction auction houses still do. But uh, one of my other uh, auctions that I love going to um, where I buy a lot of my stifes and stuff, um, they are a, a husband and wife team. And so the wife does exactly what you described. She's the clerk. And so um, she sorts and separates all of the bids as they come in and checks people out whenever they're done. And they're like the greatest couple. I just love spending time with them. <coughs> but anyway, yeah, a lot of fun. So are there any other comments or questions before we wrap things up today? I really appreciate uh, all of you being here and sharing what you share. Oh, wow. Um, AJ says John started at age 14 and grandfathered in, so got uh, licensed by experience. Yeah, that's how it is here in uh, Pennsylvania. The laws vary state to state, but here in Pennsylvania, you either have to um, go through training, which I've actually looked into. Uh, I just don't have the time, honestly, to go through it. Uh, or um, study as an apprentice or actually work in an auction for, I think, a minimum of three years or something like that. I forget how it works now, but, um, and you can get your license that way. Still have to take a test or something, I think, but yeah, it, one of the things that's fascinating to me is just listening to the different ways that various auctioneers call. Um, it's just really fascinating. The one, whenever I was looking into the course, it's a full-time college level course at a local college. Um, like their first credited course that you have to take is learning the auctioneer lingo, you know, and how to, how to call properly and all of that, which I thought was kind of interesting that that, that would be the first thing you learn. But anyway, very cool. Uh, Kathleen says, thanks for doing this. I look forward to it all week. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Oh, how awesome. Um, AJ shares that he does continuing education. He won the state fair calling competition. He sings his call. I'd love to hear that. That would be great. Just to, because I don't think I've ever heard anyone call like that. I remember whenever I was young, some of the early auctioneer callers back then, um, the older ones, um, had a very unique style. And it honestly took me a while to even understand what on earth they were even saying, you know, some of them, but, um, that would be, it's, it's a very unique, I don't even know what to call it. I don't want to say business cause it isn't that there's just something interesting and unique about it, about it that you don't see in many other businesses, but that's pretty cool. All right, folks. Well, that's all that I have for this week. Um, we will be happy to come together again next Tuesday. <laughs> I have no idea what we'll talk about. Uh, Mark says, I'm so glad to be a part of your sharing. For years, I suppressed my on-the-sleeve emotions, always on guard to keep them at bay. Your stories of your family that bring your emotions up really make me feel glad to be human. And 
in the know about emotion being the key to so much not to be suppressed. Yep, that's absolutely the case. Sometimes I get embarrassed by it, but you know, it is what it is. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Our emotions are so powerful in how they guide us that uh, I think the sooner we can learn to pay attention to them and just let them flow, the better off we'll be. Very cool. That's a very cool uh, comment, AJ. Thanks for sending it. Nice. And Steve said, emotions are what make us human. Yep, absolutely. And uh, Tony says, thanks, Tony. Hope there is more next week. Back to regular times, both sides of the pond next week, too. Yep, I'll be back next week. For sure. And AJ says, you touched my heart today, Tony. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. All right. Well, until next week, enjoy the rest of your week this week. And uh, go out and do something fun. <laughs> we'll talk again soon.